Honestly, guys, like I was touting the Notre Dame game this year as the biggest Clemson regular season game since Louisville 2016. But I got to say, this Miami one may be even more hyped up. I think in hindsight that this may not be as tough of a matchup as we think it's going to be going in. We'll see, though. I think you're going to see a more focused Clemson team coming out uh, next week. I think you're going to see a little bit tightened up play calling. Um, with a little bit more wrinkles just with the kind of the pressure coming out of this game, the, the, t- the team not looking great, looking a little bit sloppy. But I really do think it comes down to a little bit more of the focus. The rust is now starting to shake off. Um, you have three games under our belt now. You're going to have guys like Justin Foster and Tyler Davis back in there, hopefully. So we'll see. I mean, you look at Miami's schedule. Yeah, they've, they've, they're they 3-0, and but that's against UAB, Louisville, and FSU. So. Yeah, this was this could be a classic. Just bet the cover for for Clemson. Sorry, Tully, you might be. Uh, this might be the week for you, but I mean, I, 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 after all this, you know, griping over Clemson's performance against UVA, it's there. I think they're gonna blow the doors off of Miami, and I, and that might not mean you know, winning by fifty like we've done before, but it, it, I do think we'll cover the spread, which I think is sixteen points, right? Yeah, it could be like yeah. a 38 to 14 game or something like that. And we'd still would consider that handling them. I mean, what, they're the number seven team in the country right now? Sure. Yeah, I think so. And and the reasons that I think we'll blow the doors off of them is for the reasons you mentioned, Ben, a healthy defensive line. I think Venables is going to give uh, their quarterback King looks. Uh, that's going to make him, a, he is a little bit erratic, a little prone to gunslinging. I think we have the cover corners to to make his life tough. And then I think we have the guys up front that are going to create pressure. On top of that, you have Venables that's going to throw his on mix or his on assortment of pressure. And I think it's going to make life really uncomfortable for King. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. The SEC released new branding for the 2020 season. It just means more points. The U is not back. Clemson is 4-0 and life is good. Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm your host Nick, joined tonight by Ben and Cody. And we are the Clemson Podcast, here with our Miami game review and preview for the Georgia Tech game. Boys, what a win. 42-17, first thoughts. Cody, what do you got? Well, I, I can't think back to the most, uh, the most, I'd say, significant regular season game uh, where you really did beat a good team. We'll get into Miami and the quality of their offense and defense, but I think they really were a legit team. And yeah, I, I'm thinking back to Louisville, but the difference between that game and this one is uh, it was more, this one was handled uh, pretty emphatically. Like we, we took care of business. So I don't know. What, what are your thoughts, Ben? 
Well, my thoughts are the same as they were last week, and I believe you agreed with me, Cody, that you could see this Clemson team come out and really put a hurting on Miami after they kind of got a wake-up call against Virginia, and we held a little bit back, it seemed like, in the creativity of both sides of the ball, <clears throat> and also the fact that you know Virginia shows you more exotic looks uh, across the defensive line um, and some more th things going on in offense. But, yeah, I mean, just a phenomenal performance by the Tigers. And it is, you know, it certainly could have been a closer game. I'm not shocked that we ended up beating them as bad as we did because this Clemson team is just that much more dominant right now um, when they're playing at their best. Miami is a good team as far as the ACC is concerned. That's not saying a lot. Um, I put them at probably, I don't know, two or three right now still with Notre Dame and Miami right there. Um, North Carolina still has yet to impress me that much, but yeah, overall, not not shocked at all that, that we saw this performance. Um, and honestly, it could have been worse. Cody, I like that question. I would I would say not the Louisville game, just because that was a bit of a heavyweight match. Came down to the last play. Um, they were a formidable foe. It was kind of up to the challenge. I would probably say the Florida State game in 2015. Um, if you guys remember that, it was kind of late in the season, early November that year. And um, they were still, I think, ranked right around top 10. Uh, we had yet to vanquish them, even from the 2014 team. Jameis was still there. You know, this was like a Dalvin Cook team, and, you know, we still had to prove it. Um, and Clemson did in that game. They, they outclassed Florida State. Um, this one, I mean, I, I don't even know if Miami is up to where Florida State was that year. But um, in any event, this just from the start was domination from Clemson. And the scoreboard throughout didn't really reflect that, but that was due a lot to – unforced errors on Clemson's side, you know, not forced necessarily by Miami's hand, more so by um, mistakes, drops, penalties, and coaching decisions uh, that ultimately led to not executing and not getting touchdowns or any points at all. Um, but yeah, um, what a, what a great game. I, I don't want to call it a relief, you know, just great to see, you know, an awesome regular season showing like this against a formidable foe. Yeah, well, and people keep asking, you know, they've been asking going into this game if the U was back. And um, I think the answer to that is clearly no. Um, but, you know, some things do never change. And that's Miami. They were chippy out there. They played very undisciplined, had a ton of penalties. Um, and that is very a very familiar thing we're used to seeing from Miami. So that certainly hasn't changed. Yeah, Ben, I mean, you just everything you needed to see was on display in this game. You know, when Clemson sort of got in, got into it a little bit um, and held their own really in kind of the, the smack talking game, you saw Dabo's reaction to that and kind of Dabo reacting to um, mental mistakes and kind of things that are not becoming of Clemson football and his reaction on the sideline. And then Manny Diaz, he had two guys ejected for targeting, you know, a lot of other um, probably unsavory plays from his players. And it just kind of does illustrate the two states of these programs from a coaching staff perspective and uh, the culture of the teams and the programs as well. Um, that were just on display. And, you know, I don't think the U is going to be back until they sort of bring that, that high level of play, high level of, you know, not only high level of play, but just like, are they, are they really acting like professionals out there? Right. And we don't really see that. And we haven't seen that. And I think that's a big part of why they're not back. They pretty much have the talent. It's just a matter of, you know, getting that all the click and being focused. And I mean, something we didn't explicitly say in the previous show last week was, what's this Miami team going to show us, you know, after they face some adversity early on in this game. And I think they saw that on both sides of the ball. They had guys ejected from the game and um, 
that certainly made Clemson's path a little easier in this one. But I think that, yeah, we kind of saw that they, they weren't able to make those adjustments or kind of stay at Clemson's level and, um, you know, kind of worked out. And in, in the past, I would say this is a game that based off of Miami's skill level and based off of, I think their defense, which was, which was really good. You guys, you guys mentioned they're in discipline that that's all true, but I think it was a really good athletic defense that was doing a pretty good, if they, you know, you move, remove the penalties and, and remove some of the Etienne's big plays and, you know, they, they, they would have held us to some points. Um, so I, I think ultimately I got, I'm, I'm, well, I think where you're going is they've got, I mean, there is some athleticism out there for sure that you see, but um, what they don't have is the act like you've been there before mentality. And I guess it's hard to do that when you haven't been there before. I mean, surely, yeah, they've been there before in like 2002, but nobody on this team in recent years. I mean, the kids, the kids on the team, like most of them weren't even alive last time that Miami won a national championship or were relevant. Um, so that's, kind of what they're missing. It'll be interesting to see if Manny Diaz, it's funny how you can go through coach over coach over coaching turnover and years after years after years of moving players through and the culture is still somehow ingrained within your program. Um, Miami's always been able to get athletes, um, but again, you saw it on the field going into that game. They were just way too emotionally hyped up um and that hurt them in this one they wouldn't have won this game but yeah I think it could have been a lot closer to Cody's point yeah and I guess my my, lar my larger point was that it was it was nice to see that Clemson ha is like championship caliber it's not just the culture but right now it's the talent and you know I'll I'll eat some crow with Tony Elliott because I thought he had a very sophisticated offensive game plan against Miami's defense and, and the rush so yeah I, I mean I don't, I think we talked about a little bit earlier this year, like this could be the most talented Clemson team and I'm, I'm we're not there yet, but we definitely saw shades of it in this game. That was really pleasing to, yeah. to see. Yeah. And Cody, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about that too. You've mentioned that a few times uh, mentioning how the ceiling on this team is super high, whereas the floor is also a little bit lower just because we have so many guys to develop. There are so many young guys out there playing significant roles and playing significant snaps um, on this football team. And what we have to remember, remember is that these guys don't stop getting better after the, after the end of spring practice or after the end of camp, right? After the season starts, um, you know, they continue to get better throughout the games and arguably they, they gain, uh, you know, better experience from that. And they take more leaps and strides from having the real game against uh, game experience against a, a, you know, opposing team. So, um, you saw that you saw that from LSU last year, right? They did come out the gates like looking like they were gonna, you know, blow a or you know play a Clemson team of our caliber uh, like that in the national championship game. They improved as the season went along. Um, so we've just been breaking in a lot, a lot of young guys. Not everything is always going to be perfect, but you're starting to see the development out there. Andrew Booth, case in point, you know, he's a guy who from the first game to the now fourth game has shown considerable improvement and they're only going to continue to get better because that ceiling is so high. Yeah. There were a lot of question marks kind of going in that we got answered um, in this game. And the biggest one that we asked, you know, and I asked you guys like, how would you game plan against uh, this Clemson defense was, well, are we going to have Tyler Davis or not? And Cody, you've kind of called him the MVP of this team. I could, or at least of the defense, um, and that was certainly on display. I mean, they contained D.R. King, um, really eliminated pretty much their entire running game. And um, 
yeah, he, he's such a huge impact. And that was definitely answered. Just got to see him improve, you know, get healthy, get healthier, keep him protected, keep him upright. Um, and yeah, that was, that was excellent. He really solidifies the D line because I talked about it a little bit last week. Miles Murphy's great. He's on, he's getting to the point where he's really advanced for a freshman and he's almost great on every play, but he's not quite there. And, and same with Brissy, which uh, they were kind of going back and forth uh, between him and Tyler Davis, but he allows the freshmen to come along at their own, at their own pace. They don't have to be great just yet, but Tyler Davis, he was like this last year too, as a true freshman, he was great on every single play. And, you know, we'll talk about this more in the defensive preview, but it was interesting. I, I did not think Venables would play it with uh, a lot of three down uh, on the defensive line, uh, which just me- meant he could be very creative with how he used his linebackers. And I really enjoyed watching it on the rewatch because uh, it, it's, it's a lot like last year. You don't have Isaiah Simmons, but you do have better uh, down linemen, which is which is uh, it's a huge difference. It would have made a huge difference in, in the natty as well. Yeah, I totally agree, Cody. And you mentioned the the game. I mean, what you're alluding to there is the same as you uh, mentioned about Tony Elliott. I thought there were great game plans on both sides of the ball, both on the offense and defense coming into this game. We saw a much more dynamic uh, uh, game planning and play calling throughout this game, something that we didn't see in the Virginia game, which probably had a lot to do with us going a little bit vanilla um, heading into this much more anticipated. Yeah, a lot vanilla into this much more anticipated matchup. Um, against Miami um, and I guess one more thing before we we roll into maybe the offensive defensive uh, recaps um, you know we talk about Miami's discipline or lack thereof you look on the opposite side of the coin or on the opposite side of the field you see Dabo barking at Trevor after he spikes that ball after scoring after he got knocked out of the game and Miami guys were chirping at him and you know, you, you see that from him and, you know, like the see Dabo go yelling at your potential Heisman quarterback for spiking it like that. He doesn't treat anybody differently. Right. Um, now for the rest of us as fans, that was fantastic to see. You love that attitude. You love to see Trevor go in there, spike the ball. You take those. Right. Um, because that was a statement after he got knocked out for that one play. Um, let the coaches do the coaching, but as fans, we can sit back and enjoy that. Well, uh, I want to point out disrespect and pettiness in a good way on our coaching staff's part. Um, Dabo throwing DJ out there on the second series um, against Miami. This game is far from settled. And look, like throwing DJ out there is not necessarily saying like, you know, we're, we're cruising, we're in cruising mode. Like I think there was definitely reason that Tony Elliott brought him in. Uh, trickeration. Trevor was out at wide out, you know, I think on the second play, um, where there was the high snap, they intended to throw it to Trevor and um, probably find Latson down the field. Well, DJ um, caught the snap, recovered, and you know whipped a ball 50, 50 yards in the air, um, like it was nothing. But um, yeah, just kind of in a way disrespectful to Miami. And then toward the end of the game, you know, kind of continuing to run and trying to score a touchdown late. Um, you can always say like, look, that was that was us trying to get reps for players, et cetera, et cetera. But Dabo doesn't do that against coaches he likes or against teams he likes. You know, he doesn't do that against Dave Doran. He wouldn't do that against Duke, you know, and. Um, Meaning he does do that against Dave Doran. He, I'm sorry, Dave Doran, yes. Dave Clawson, Not- no. Dave Doran is probably public enemy number one. I put Miami number two and probably Boom Muschamp up there too. Yeah. But yeah. So um, anyway, it's just an interesting uh, Dabo, do what I say, don't do as I do a little bit. 
but you love to see it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if they're going to dish it, they're going to be, they need to be uh, prepared to take it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it is great seeing Trevor continue to stand up for himself. I mean, clearly Miami's guys were headhunting him a bit in this game. We've seen it before from Alabama. Um, and yeah, I think he, you know, he's sick of it and good for him to stand up for himself. What a tough dude. Um, so yeah, I'm cool then with a little bit of, a little bit of spark. Can I, let me interject with this. Are you guys surprised at all that Dabo doesn't publicly call out the coaches directly? Like, uh, in, it was it 2016. Yeah. Where, where Dave Doran, uh, in NC state went after Wayne Gallman took him out of the game. And I've seen some head hunting in the past and it was pretty clear what Miami was trying to do. And Dabo, I think, I think Dabo's intention and by not calling this out publicly, he probably take, he probably takes care of it privately says don't do that again but I, I think it's just not to uh, put pull tension away from the win and the focus of the team that's my guess but I, I am surprised he just he doesn't like take take uh take it out publicly a little bit with how bush league that was i mean there's no there's no place in it or no, no place for it uh I, 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 I wish that they can't find players but i wish they could do something because that was ridiculous well and because Dabo is uh, a little clever like that i i do wonder him knowing that you know, there's the stadium is only about a quarter full um, and you can hear a lot of what they're saying down there. And, you know, he's been caught in camera before lambasting kickers. Um, so he knows that focus and spotlights on him. And I, I, I do just wonder if he knew that was going to get caught on audio, um, that it was going to be seen and publicized of, of him getting after Trevor. And if, if in secret behind closed doors, he was like, attaboy, a little pat on the butt. Yeah doesn't seem like a very off the cuff statement that he made. I'm not saying he had that premeditated too much, but yeah, I think there might be something to that, Ben. All right. Well, why don't we pivot and talk about what a spectacular offensive performance we had in this game? All right, guys, you know, Cody, you referenced it. I think Tony Elliott, instead of a vanilla game plan, as we saw it in times in the Virginia game, he really unloaded a tiki bar menu full of exotic plays in this one. Uh, Clemson ran 88 plays in this game, 34 first downs, only one turnover when I actually believe that Trevor Lawrence was down in that play. Um, so I think the, you know, plaudits of the night go to Tony Elliott. 42 points for this Clemson offense does not tell the complete story. I mean, this was a, this was a 60 plus point effort from this offense in a game that they played against a very capable and strong and talented uh, Miami defense. Yeah, absolutely. It sure did. And I um, thought the offensive line played for the most part pretty well in this game. It was good to see us get physical um, and do what we needed to do to move the ball. Uh, this still is a bit concerning that we're facing so many third and longs and not being as productive on first and second downs at the same time. It's um, comforting to know that when you are faced with a third and long, that you have a guy like Trevor and a guy like specifically Travis Etienne who can get you out of those situations. But um, I think moving forward, we still need to kind of crack down and figure that one out um, because once we play against better competition, we can't afford to be behind the chain so much. Yeah, yeah. Miami clearly in this game, Cody was aiming to take away a Trevor, or I'm sorry, Travis Etienne and, you know, the inside running game. Um, there was a lot of misdirection plays initially, um, play action, you know, fake jet sweeps, that kind of thing. And ultimately the ball did end up in tra um, Travis Etienne's hands. Um, but Ben, you know, I think we're likely to continue to see that. I think that's the, the you know, the, uh, the poison that the 
opposing DCs have to pick is they're going to really force Clemson to beat them through the air with a, what they believe is an under talented or an underdeveloped wide receiver core. But how do you deal with that when ETN is developing to such a great pass catcher too? Um, I don't know. I mean, you saw him running deep routes in this game, or at least one I noticed. Yeah. Um, it's just too many guys out there to keep track of right now for opposing defensive coordinators. It's, it's not just ETN receiving the ball. It's Brayden Galloway. It's Davis Allen. Um, Frank Ladson still some yips, a couple of, uh, you know, bad drop or two here and there, but then, you know, he makes some great plays. You see those flashes and he's still a true sophomore and Joe and Goddess still hasn't gotten back full healthy and, and thrown into the mix. So you're starting to see this team develop and you see all the weapons. And when you talk about, for instance, the plays they run for DJ, like, I love that. I love getting him into the game early um, because he has a specific skill set that nobody else has in that starting offense. And it's the ability to run like Taj Boyd and doing that, you know, we don't know what he was going to do on that second play where the ball went over his head, whether or not he was going to throw it to Trevor or somebody else or not, it sets up stuff for later in the season, right? You put stuff on tape. Um, so opposing defenses know that he's, there's a possibility he comes out there, but you also don't know what he's going to do. You know, you tease him a little bit, maybe he's just running and then he pulls it throw to Trevor or something like that. So I, I love, again, just going back to the creativity and play calling. Um, it was very refreshing to see, especially since it was only the fourth game of the season and we generally do not see it this early. Yeah. And I don't think it was just the wrinkles that Elliot had. Clearly he had them ready, prepackaged and ready to go. It was, it seemed to be, he was adapting his play calling to what was going on with the Miami defense. And, and maybe, maybe he just knew that going in that they were going to be aggressive I, maybe they they knew pretty quickly that they were they were coming after, coming after Trevor and trying to take him out. So a lot of the it seemed like the offensive play calling revolved around Trevor getting the ball out quickly, uh, and he was moving it side to side more you know on the on the on uh, screaming passes and and quick little slant routes, but it, not a lot of deep shots. You didn't really see a lot. One one to Latson that he dropped early on that was that was a dime, and he needs to come down with that. But um, but yeah, I thought I thought just yeah, the game plan, the wrinkles, DJ going in, which I agree with you, Ben. He's kind of like Taj, but he has uh, probably the what the eighth best in, eighth best NFL running back uh, on his team, so they can do some like zone read stuff, which I'd like to see them kind of uh, experiment with that a little bit. Him and Etienne, but uh, overall, yeah, again, I eat crow with Tony Elliott. He's we, we, we always talk about, you know, you, you, you do the bland or the vanilla, you know, running back a gap, B gap dive, and you get one yard or no gain. And it's just, it kind of sucks. Uh, I felt like they did that all game for Virginia just to set it up for Miami. And I think it worked. Yeah, Ben, something you talked about and we've been preaching and asking about for a long time has been involving the middle of the field in the passing game. And you saw that be pretty effective here. I think part of that was, um, taking advantage of some Miami aggressiveness with blitzing their linebackers. Um, tight ends got behind that and then were able to feast all night. We saw three touchdowns from the tight end position. I can't tell you, I'd have to look. It's probably been five, six years since we've seen a three touchdown game from the tight end group. So uh, that part is definitely good to see from the passing attack start to develop this season. Um, we really needed it. And uh, you talked about kind of Frank Gladson's development. Um, I think what we saw in this one was uh, kind of the, the best in some of the development areas that still remain elsewhere in the receiving core. 
Um, Amari Rogers, very solid in this game. I think we saw um, some route running difficulties from Cornell Powell show up. Um, but, you know, he's, uh, he's coming along. And I think um, really getting Spectre in there as well um, is giving Clemson a good amount of opportunities over the middle in the slot position. Yeah, it's interesting, though. You saw them really focus instead of spreading the ball around so much. They really focused on their four workhorses in this game and in uh, ETN, Rogers, Latson and, and, and Galloway. And Brandon Spector, not nearly as involved in this game as he was in the UVA game. So, again, you know, when we get into crunch time, um, they start playing better competition that you, you do have that um, that wild card to play or that that, you know, that's still in your back pocket is that we've got all these studs out here that are going to make plays. And can we talk about this first TD to, to Braden Galloway, the, the discipline of the offensive line, and you've been seeing this for years uh, with, with Clemson's offensive line is every time, anytime somebody jumps off sides, um, they just sit there and stay in place in this game. When that happened, they all took off. They released late off to Galloway on that left side and led him down the field for that touchdown. And I wondered that's, was that the original play call or is there a play where they do hold and then release after an offsides? And that's just the play they know to do when somebody drops offsides. Like, is it an immediate um, kind of pivot to that play? I mean, I don't know. I'm asking the question, but I thought it was. Cause it's a free play. Yeah. It's I thought it was in, incredibly well, interesting to see. And again, great discipline, uh, by the offensive line and, you know, Robbie Caldwell's done an amazing job with them for the past several years. So Ben, that exact play went for a touchdown to Jordan Leggett in the first play of the Miami game in 2015, Al Golden's last game. So go right back to Dabo, back to the bag of tricks, back to the Miami disrespect, got Al Golden fired. Let's run it back one time. How the hell touchdown. do you remember that? <laughs> uh, well, we saw a very similar play happen earlier this year, I think in the waking, maybe it was a Citadel game. Um, and then I actually saw that. I saw a replay of the Leggett play on Twitter ah, over gotcha. the weekend. Nice. I'd have to dig up the source on that one. We'll, we'll give it a retweet, but. Well, it's, um, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant way to handle that. And I mean, again, you've seen Clemson be doing that for years at the offensive line. That's something, you know, that way of uh, approaching offside sets up plays like this and, um, yeah, just it's just another feather in the cap of this offensive play calling uh, for this game. It was pretty great. Yeah, I think the O-line really held its own. You know, Miami's front, very capable, very strong. They have their own Jalen Phillips, who I think had a really good game. They were getting after the quarterback. Um, deep, you know, O-line didn't play a completely flawless game overall, but definitely held their own. We definitely saw a lot of progression from this group. Um, you can definitively say, I think that Clemson won the trenches in a game that, you know, that I think Miami's O-line probably came in a little less rated than we would have thought, um, or, you know, certainly than their D-line, but Clemson's O-line definitely won the day um, among the two groups. I would say there's still questions of depth and kind of down the stretch, you know, this, this O-line did look, did look taxed. So that's something that, Again, like with lesser opponents coming up on the schedule, it's going to be important to get some of that youth um, more experience so that later on, you know, in more contested games, I'm looking ahead to like Notre Dame and Virginia Tech, um, that the starters can either be better conditioned or we can rotate guys in. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I don't think, <clears throat> you know, it's not a situation where we need 
five guys ready to back up the five starters, right? You just need the way they cross train them. You just need a couple other solid guys um, Two, hopefully at least three would be ideal uh, to be ready to come in there and play during crunch time if somebody goes down and also to spell the starters. So you're not getting as winded uh, later in the game. So you do hope to see that depth continue um, to develop. And again, there's been some COVID related issues with certain guys who we expected to get more playing time. So, um, hopefully that does improve there, you know, Carmen had a couple holds, so there's still some of those mental mistakes and stuff like that to, uh, to clean up. And there's still not a lot of rushing yards to be found between the tackles. Yeah. Uh, also just, if we're going to stick with the O-line, like snaps difficulties with Kate Stewart, um, yeah. that's just probably going to be a part of life, but, uh, great, great that that didn't cost us a turnover in crucial moment. Um, I do want to keep it with blocking though. And I saw a great game from our receivers in downfield blocking. Um, Mari Rogers and um, also Frank Ladson, actually. Um, but none bigger than Davis Allen on the Travis Etienne long touchdown run, really springing Etienne to the outside. Um, Davis Allen picked up a great, great pancake block on one of Miami's linebackers. Yeah, that's one thing. If you're going to run a lot of these screen passes and you're going to use tight ends more, which is, which is a positive you got to have good blocking. And I think that's what we're seeing so far. I think we've had good blocking from the receiver position really since uh, T Higgins and Justin Ross. And, and I, I, it's just like a willingness. I think uh, Frank Gladson's maybe he falls into that mold too. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm so. very pleased all, all around. And Ben, I guess your only gripe about in between the tackles running it's I, I can't, I, you know, again, not a guru with the X's and O's, but I can't help but think that's a function of Kean on ETN. If I'm a defensive coordinator, that's the one guy. I don't, I'll let. I'll even let Trevor Lawrence beat you, but I won't let ETM beat you through the A gap, B gap. Yeah, and to be fair, like the the differences between what we saw against Virginia, the thing that kind of um, the line wasn't able to be as physical. This is something Larry Williams mentioned on Tiger Illustrated that they had so many exotic looks and movement going on that the, the, the offensive line really had to just focus on communication, which kind of took away their aggressiveness, right? And especially in the run game, whereas Miami really likes to get downfield and just come at you. Um, so a much more physical defensive line for Miami, more talented uh, than Virginia, but a different type of team. So they were, you know, dealing with two different types of foes and it'll come. Uh, but again, I, I talk about playing, well, I guess I'm going to walk this back now. Normally, I would say when we play a team like Miami's defensive or um, Alabama's defensive line in the playoffs, that it's going to be much tougher, but maybe not after what we saw this weekend. Yeah, we'll definitely get to uh, the rest of the country and the lack of defense scene. But um, I guess, guys, like we haven't really paid homage to Travis Etienne's game and really the the Heisman moments, the Heisman showcase we saw on display from both him and Trevor Lawrence in this game. Uh, those two, you know, again, congrats to the fans. I got to see that in person. Uh, what a, what a great reminder of how good those two are. And, um, ETN just, you know, quiet, humble night. Um, only the, you know, 9.1 yard, uh, per average reception for eight catches and, uh, 149 yards rushing on the night, averaging 8.8, um, you know, incredible game from ETN. I don't know, guys, like I threw a poll out on Twitter tonight to ask, like, who's people's Heisman through four games here? I'm giving it to Travis. I was going to ask you all the same thing and my votes with Travis as well. 
Yeah, ESPN voted on this. I don't know if you guys saw this. I did see that. Yeah, all of their writers, it was 13 of 15 voted for Trevor Lawrence. The other two voted for Travis Etienne. And I'm with you guys, so it's three for three. I think the most Heisman-worthy player on the team thus far is Travis Etienne. And that's not to say that Lawrence has had a a bad year. He's had an excellent, amazing year. But I think Etienne's just – he's up there, man. I don't know where – I don't know enough about college football, but he's one of the best I've seen. Well, yeah, and let me ask you this. Uh, you know, from what we've seen this year with ET and all the incredible plays he's made, um, especially on those third and longs and bailing us out, um, do you feel more comfortable going into a playoff game? I, this is a tough question, um, but do you feel more comfortable going into a playoff game with uh, DJ under center and ETN as a back or Trevor under center with Lin J as your, your first option, should you had to choose one of the two? Um, with all Who the playing? Uh, well, yeah. let's not get that deep into it, but I'll be all honest right. with you. What I've seen ETN do this year, um, I feel a lot better if he's on the field, just knowing how talented DJ is and the other weapons you have to work with. Maybe I'll ask you a different question. Who's the, who's the worst quality Clemson quarterback we can win a natty with, with Travis ETN and the rest of the talent on this? Do we do it with Taj Boyd? I think we could do it with Taj. I don't think we could do it with Kelly. That would be my, my thought. That's fair. Kyle Parker? Nah, probably not. Uh, ba- mm. Baseball contract in hand or, or not? Yeah. <laughs> Charlie definitely, definitely Triple Reese. I mean, of course. Yeah. But then not to like, I guess what you're thinking of is like replacement level, but I, I wouldn't even or go who's there. the most valuable player, right? I mean, yeah. the two. And yeah. here's the thing about football. As great as we're talking about ETN is and as worthy as he is of winning the Heisman, it's still Trevor Lawrence because quarterback just matters more, I I think. And it's not a huge, huge difference. I mean, but it, I think having a, a great quarterback over a great running back is just more valuable. Now, I, I tend to agree with you on that. And the quarterback gets all the love. You know, it's the sexy position. But again, I take you back to ETN and everything he's able to do and everything he has done and and just focusing on this year alone like all the phenomenal plays you see the stats he's racking up he's going to be the all-time record holder in in Clemson football history at running backs in the ACC as well and he's climbing up the charts in college football as a whole Um, you know maybe he doesn't get the Heisman this year but he needs some sort of career achievement award because that dude has been a badass for four years Agreed. And one of the good things about this is like, I just cited the ESPN poll, like they're they're both getting all of the first place votes. Now that might change when Justin Fields comes back, but it's like, they're, it's not a zero sum game between the, between both of them. They both can be like, they could be one and two in the Heisman voting because they're both that good. And the offensive, just our game plan revolves around both of them so much that they can both put up crazy numbers, still get a seat in New York and hopefully one of them can win it. And it doesn't matter. Both of them deserve it. Is it possible to tie in the Heisman? I would love it if that were the case. I don't think so. I mean, it, it's possible, certainly. Like, they do first place, second place, third place votes, and then it could all end up. I actually, I want to go back and look at what the closest Heisman, you know, race was and how close they were. Um, a co-trophy would certainly be incredible. Or, or this could happen Travis Etienne wins it this year. The Jets get the first pick in the draft. And Trevor's Lawrence is like, screw that. I'm going to go get a Heisman, one more championship, and not go play for the Jets. Jets are a mess. Nobody. 
No. Then he's, it, just, it, then he's just eating into DJ's Heisman's at that point. Right. Sure. Fair enough. If Etienne could have just evolved as a pass catcher a little bit faster last year, it was his for the taking. Actually, that's not true. Burroughs was going to have that guy. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. A lot of it, a lot of it is about timing too, right? Yeah. Like Sean, you know, could have had it. And then Lamar Jackson comes out. Well, and Ben, so. you know, we, we will get back to this, you know, later on when we move off the Clemson Miami game here, but I don't know that there really are too many defenses across the country that give me fear of stopping this offense cold and, and finding a way to just completely contain this offense. Not a defense I've seen so, so far. Yeah, like we're going to get a huge amount of data this weekend when Georgia faces off against a very potent Alabama offense. So that's going to be a must watch. But other than that, you're going to have to wait two more weeks for Ohio state to start playing games before we can see what their defense looks like this year. They lost a lot of skill, ta- skill talent on that defense up front and in the secondary. So that's going to be interesting to watch, but um, yeah, could be, could be another, I mean, Clemson could be sort of may not potent offense in the country, uh, but when you pair it with the defense that Clemson has, which we will talk about next, you know, we become a very tough out. Yeah. And let's, yeah, let me roll that back a little bit. I will give Georgia credit. They, they look to have a pretty solid defense thus far. Agreed on Georgia. And uh, I mean, I still want to see Alabama not against a uh, playing against a team that doesn't have that doesn't know all of its place apparently allegedly. They're not as good as Georgia, but I think they're going to have a good defense. That's fair. Yeah. Why don't we move on to the Clemson defense? All right. So in this one, guys, Clemson allows Clemson defense allows ten points. Um, Miami did put up 17 on the scoreboard with seven of those came at the end of the first half on a blocked field goal, special teams touchdown. Uh, so 10 points in this one, guys, really just the one touchdown play, um, there in the fourth quarter, uh, which in my opinion, didn't need to happen, um, based on a tackling miscue, but a dominant defensive effort from the start, really a Brent Venables tour de force. I won't call it his masterpiece. We've seen a few of those, uh, but really just what a great game plan from BV, uh, I think he was – you relished this challenge, guys. And, Cody, earlier on you mentioned moving back to a 3-3-6 formation. Um, they really opted to go more with putting another uh, safety on the field in young Jalen Phillips for most of those plays. Um, this was not nearly an Isaiah Simmons-level 3-3-6 defense where he was all over the field. But um, that still, as you pointed out, like was able to tee Brent Venables up to design a lot of – um, pressures from the linebacker position and on occasion corner blitzes and safety blitzes as well um, really kept Miami on their toes the whole game and that combined with setting the edges with kind of the two defensive ends um, Miles Murphy and for the most part Justin Maskell and a little bit KJ Henry in this game uh, was really effective with Tyler Davis in the middle so um, awesome to see us go back to a formula that worked really well last year it's going to be really interesting to see you know Xavier Thomas got into this game late. We have hopes that Justin Foster can get cycled back in. Like, can this be a Clemson defense that goes three down, four down, kind of mixing it up depending on game situation and personnel and the looks the offense shows you? I mean, this this is already a really talented, tough defense to scheme against. When they throw that other wrinkle at you, um, it could be a you know really long night for some of these offenses. Yeah, I mean, 
I think once everybody gets back and healthy, this may be one of the most complete defense we've seen at all levels. Um, the defensive line, obviously, with the return of Tyler Davis, um, we're not sure how healthy Xavier Thomas is going to be this year. I thought Justin Maskell played a really great game. Obviously, Murphy and Brzee are going to continue to get better. We didn't see as much from Brzee in this game um, with, with that three-man front. Um, you know, I think Venables was more trying to keep um, keep some containment on Derek King, but sending a lot of pressure with his linebackers and safeties um, in, in this game. And, you know, that was the game plan, and it worked really well. I mean, five sacks, 11 tackles for loss. What more can you say? And how about Balen Spector, man? Another second game in the row where you see that kid's number all over the field making plays. Yeah, he, he does really jump out at you when you're watching him because he's he's so fast and then you couple that with I think Mike Jones and, and Skowski just a lot of speed from the linebacking core that I, I don't think we've seen this uh all, like all three linebackers having this level of speed and, and grant, granted you know Isaiah Simmons was great last year but um but to have all three with the Mike and the Will guys that can really get after the quarterback it, it's something it's fun to watch and again we talked about it earlier having the three-man front with guys that can get better penetration than we've seen than we saw last year it's it, it's still it's still a work in progress because the freshmen have to get better they have to get to like you know whatever you call it sophomore level and and they could they could do that by the end of the season i, I fully suspect uh Brissy will get better and so will murphy but it's looking like it can be a better defense than last year. I don't think it's there yet, but I think it has a trajectory for it. Yeah, Cody, you you referenced in the LSU game, we were without Tyler Davis. Um, I forget for how much of that game he wasn't playing. I'm not going back to watch to find out, so. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because I can't – I've never rewatched that game. Yeah, yeah you're right. Same. So, but – I think it's a, I think it's valid. Like, look, we're not making excuses for that loss, um, but that's pretty. Looking at the effect he had on this defense here relative to last week with Virginia, like how valuable he is um, to this team, and to have him, that defense go up against Joe Burrow and only lose by twenty five last year, um, or however many seventeen, right? We can edit that part out. Yeah, don't remember. Yeah, don't remember. Black that out. <laughs> Um, in any don't, event, don't ask yeah. us about our losses. They're so few and far between. They're hard That's to right. recall. That's right. Um, but yeah, all of that to say, you know, critical, critical player for us and great to get him back. Um, but I think this game was really about the DBs and the cornerbacks. Um, what we got out of that position, picks from Sheridan Jones and what an interception from DK as well. Um, and Booth, man, he, he nearly had another acrobatic interception. Um, I think if he doesn't jump as early as he did, he definitely comes down with that pick and uh, could it could even have been in a more spectacular play a second week in a row. So uh, they really stood out to me as, you know, the, the MVPs of this defensive performance. Um, but you mentioned Ben earlier, um, what Spectre was able to do in disruption. I mean, he seems to be, he seems to have that combination of speed and instincts that um, Brent Venables loves to put into those positions. So I think we're, he may even be the best linebacker on that core for us this year. Which is saying a lot based on how we feel about Skalski. Well, it depends on what type of offense we're playing, right? If it's a downhill rushing team, getting Skalski come up and, and uh, to help and run defense or getting after the quarterback, um, obviously he's super valuable. He's probably going to injure three or four guys a game here moving forward just with as hard as he hits people. 
Um, but yeah, the versatility of Spectre has just been phenomenal. Um, his quickness and speed, but also his physicality um, is quite unique. Um, and he's going to be a special player. Um, he already is a special player. But, um, you know, going back to the to the cornerbacks, you know, Dabo was was telling us, you know, not the podcast specifically, we don't have a direct line of communication with him, surprisingly. Um, but, you know, Clemson Nation as a whole, that uh, this was the most talented group of quarterbacks, cornerbacks he's had on a team. And man, you're starting to see them show out and kind of understand why they haven't set a starter yet um, at either the, the field or boundary side, because Andrew Booth, you know, we're talking about his plays. Darren Kendrick, with a great interception this game, he hasn't allowed a uh, lot of completion and coverage all year long. Um, Sheridan Jones had the interception and Goodrich, you know, had a, some nice uh, passes defended, did a really good job turning around a ball in the second quarter in this game. Um, so a really solid group of cornerbacks. And again, you pair that with the defensive line and, and what they're able to do, get pressure on a quarterback and, and um, having them, you know, making and forcing them to get the ball out quicker then it all just works in harmony. And it's a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. It, I, it might be the best cornerback crew we've had. It, it's certainly like the, with the most talented depth, because we haven't had yeah. a ton of depth in previous years. And in terms of ball skills, you, you have a, you know, D, DK was a wide receiver and you saw what Booth can do. So I, I definitely think it's, it's up there. And I, I know in previous years, even when we had a lot of talent, like the ball skills weren't quite there. There's a lot of, a lot, of, a lot of handsy type stuff and p- intentional PIs. And you just don't see that. You haven't seen that this year, especially as Booth and Sheridan Jones are get, getting more confidence. It is, it is a special group. Yeah. I mean, McKenzie Alexander never had an interception. Well, and he's the best cornerback that's come around here in a while. When I look ahead to opponents left on the schedule, like the passing game is one area that we're not worried at all about Notre Dame and especially <laughs> not with this, you know, secondary core. Um, so you, you do kind of glance ahead to the playoffs and this is where, you know, a potent Alabama passing attack can be really important. And I think we talked about in the season preview episode, Ben, um, really the cornerback group can set the ceiling for this defense and ultimately for the football team this year. And I think through four games and really one game against marquee opponent, uh, you got to like where we're at. Yeah. No, I, I think still the weak spot and some where we need improvement is still in the back end of that secondary at the safety position. You know, we talked about Nolan Turner. He's, he's solid. Landon Xanders keeps, you know, he's still getting some PIs. He's not getting turned around to pass coverage a lot. But um, to his credit, that kid is amazing in, in, in defending the run. He hits hard. He's super physical and he's fast. Um, they were, he got double teamed a couple times in this game, just, just coming on blitzes. So, um, certainly some things to clean up for him. Um, great to see Jalen Phillips come in there. You mentioned him earlier. That was a guy who was getting a lot of hype last year. We thought he might get some more playing time. Didn't really, hasn't had a lot of playing time this year, but Joseph Charleston goes down with an injury in the, in the Virginia game and he gets playing time in this one and he held his own man. So we're starting to see that talent come through. So, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier in the show, these kids don't stop getting better when practice ends, they continue to, to improve as the season goes along. So as long as the talent's there, we know the coaching is going to get them there. Um, as long as they have the right mentality. And so far it seems that they do. Guys, I want to ask you how we thought uh, Derek King managed on the night. Um, he was 12 for 28. So we know how he managed. Not great. And 
Um, I just want to ask you guys, like, what do you feel like you learned about King in this one? And, you know, was, was really that poor performance on his end, you know, lack of readiness from him. You put that on their offensive coaching or really did, did their team just get outclassed by a better defense? Well, I think it's all of the above, but it, I, I think he was exposed to some degree. Like there was a lot of pressure coming his way and I don't think he dealt with it very well. Um, I, I think another game like this was coming against an inferior opponent. Like I think Miami's probably going to lose at least one more where it's probably on King because he's erratic or he throws a few interceptions. Um, but yeah, it's all of the above, but yeah, give, give Venables. I mean, give Venables a ton of credit for the scheme. Yeah. I mean, listen, Derek King is a super talented quarterback. He's a good quarterback, um, but he didn't see defenses like this playing at Houston. Um, so this was head and shoulders above anything he's seen. He did not get that with Florida State last week, Louisville or UAB coming into this game. So this was something completely different, is a completely different monster than he's ever encountered before. So I think given time, he's going to be better. Um, Miami's offensive line will get better if he has plays with a little bit better offensive line. Um, but if I'm a Miami fan, I'm still very happy with who I have at quarterback, but listen, you're, you're playing a Brent Venables defense that is, you know, it's got some players out there and it's just super hard to beat that if you're not an elite offense. Yeah. I I mean, I think the scheme was designed to take away what they were able to do in the RPO game and, um, ultimately wanted to make King beat them downfield. And they were only able to make the throws to make it happen. Um, and against a very elite secondary. Um, also, you know, Cam, Cam Harris on their side had eight carries for a total of three yards. So really, you know, take your hat off to Clemson for run suppression in this game. Uh, we all remember King had a 56-yard run, you know, scramble. I'm feeling like that was bound to happen. You know, you can't look, look too down on that. Um, right, but take take that out of it, right? They had 89 yards rushing on the day. Take those 56 off, and you're, what, left with 33 yards? Um, yeah, it's like 1.1 1. 1 yeah. yards per carry. On his 13 other carries, Derek King averaged just over two yards a carry. So for the most part, did a phenomenal job containing him. A lot better than we did, uh, the, what was his name, Armstrong, Brendan Armstrong, the UVA quarterback? Yeah, and, you know, you, you look to setting contain on the edge and – what Tyler Davis was able to do disrupting the middle and um, also just moving linebackers around and the flexibility. So I think, uh, yeah, the formula is there with the talent that we have on this team, or at least, you know, what, who was available on Saturday night. Um, But I think that's really, you know, look no further than that disrupting that part of their offense to then put pressure on a passing game that just was not, not up to the task, especially in a rainy environment. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, the rain didn't really seem to start coming down into the second half, so um, it, it you know didn't have as much of an effect. But that that is a good thing to point out is that there were the conditions to deal with, and you know, I tended to think going into the game they were going to favor us more than anything else. And um, I'm not going to say it was a factor in this game. Really, I think the factor was that we were just a much more talented, better coached team. Yeah, and guys, Quacking Tiger pointed out in his recap you know, field conditions were pretty rough. I was at the Notre Dame game in 2015 in the hurricane conditions. I think the field probably saw a lot more precipitation that day leading into that game. And the field really held up. I don't know what's changed at Memorial Stadium. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a rough condition out on that field. Hurt both teams for sure. Well, maybe the turf has COVID. 
there's a pun in there somewhere. Speaking of punting. Yes. Let's, let's pivot to the special teams. In this game, guys, I think you can, you can give Clemson kind of a D, D minus uh, for special teams overall, really for field goal duties. Uh, we had three blocked kicks in this game. One of them went back for a touchdown. Thank goodness they didn't come back to bite us on the scoreboard ultimately. Uh, but that's something where, you know, the decision to kick it at the end of the first half, you could put that, I mean, Dabo took, took responsibility for that right away um, in the halftime interview. Um, and you like, you do like to see that, but it is something that, you know, you, you do have to clean up. Uh, teams are going to bring the house now. I think the the word is out and I don't, I didn't take a look at the personnel that was in on, you know, kick, kicking duty there, but you can rest assured Dabo's going to have his starters in there, um, you know, to try to shore that up for the rest of the season. Well, I know Cody is probably for the first time ever super excited to talk about special teams. So Cody, I'm going to toss it to you to get your thoughts. No, I, I want, uh, I mean, it was embarrassing. Uh, the, the fact that that happens so often, I don't know enough. I didn't even on the rewatch, I wasn't focusing on that. So I was going to leave that for you, Ben. Uh, I do agree with Tully. It was nice to see Dabo just own up to it. He's usually like, you know, just, yeah, we do what we do. We're Clemson football. You know, we just, we, you know, he kind of takes that route, but he just, he just owned it in this one. So I appreciated that. What you you got, Ben? It's a completely different story. If BT Potter ends up making that field goal, because we know he can make it. He has the leg for it. And none of these block kicks were his fault. It was the line. The right side of the line was terrible. And I think KJ Henry was one of the culprits. Talk about having your starters in there. Well, he's one of them. Um, So, yeah, and for it to happen to three times, there was a fundamental issue in this game, right? There wasn't just one fluke. So they do need to take a look at that and get that fixed because it was quite embarrassing. And even with the soggy field, again, it was not on Potter. It was on the line. And I just think 61 is in a – you know, as it's raining, like 61 on a, even a, you know, overcast cold day, like adverse conditions, some somewhat, but that was just, I mean, even 51 with those conditions might be a little bit too much. Fair enough. And, you know, I, I never realized this. I was reading over in Tiger Illustrated that apparently, and I think Venable's first season, uh, Dabo did a, made a similar call um, where a field goal was blocked and Venables like lit into him <laughs> and he didn't in this game, but, um, uh, you know, it, it was interesting to see, yeah, Dabo being the head coach and owning up for it and calling it one of the worst, uh, decisions of his career. Again, you know, B, we know BT's got the leg for it. Um, well, I didn't think I could be any more disappointed than I was after the Virginia game and how we ended that half. And sure. This one was just crazy. Didn't have money on it this time though. So that, that was good. We covered the spread. That's right. Um, Should have put otherwise, on. guys, you know, I don't know too much on like the punting game or Will Spires had a, Will Spires had a good game. Um, we're not doing much on, on punt returns. I think Quack and Tiger pointed out that um, on our on our punt return uh, kind of defense, we're letting guys get free down the field and not giving Amari a lot of room. But um, yeah, I mean, just same old, same old Will Spires this year. He continues to boom the ball and to do it in rainy conditions, all the better. Kudos to him. There was that weird, there was that weird play where Miami's guy touched the ball, it rolled in the end zone, and kicked it out of the back side of it. I know QT brought up a good question. Like, if you're at the five yard line, why not just kick it out of the back and take a touchback? 
That's a good um, point. So my question is, did it touch a Clemson guy? I can see it definitely being a touchback if if the the returner is the only person to touch it and purposely kicks it out the back of the end zone. But did it – I can't recall if it actually touched a Clemson player. I don't think that. it did. I don't think it touched a Clemson player at all, but it was certainly close. And um, I – I don't know. That always no. Me, it like, did. Is that the one where it hit off his shin? There was one where it did deflect off a Clemson player's shin. So, anyways, he had a couple of questionable decisions in that game. He might have been concussed heading into it. Yeah, not sure. Um, just weird. I'm sure there's a rule in there that says like if Miami's guy touches it in the field of play, then kicks it out the back. That's a safety. If it's just if it bounces into the end zone, then he touches it. Then it goes out the back. It's it's a touchback, but um, anyway, yeah, weird, weird turn of events there. But um, overall, guys, you know, dominant Clemson win. Um, team stayed pretty healthy through this one, so that's also good to see. And any, like, parting thoughts? I mean, I guess we've touched on a little bit, like, where we think this Miami team is. It's possible, guys. Like, they, they still could be the class of the ACC outside of Clemson. You know, they can learn from this one. I think typically teams out of the Clemson hangover the next week um, and typically are, you know, struggling to win those games. But we might see Miami again. They better hope not. Yeah, I'm not, not too scared. No, I would say overall my takeaway is that, you know, we came out, uh, we played ball. We looked like the number one team in the nation. Um, we handle our business and it could have been worse. And we still have a lot of stuff to work on and this team's only going to continue to get better. Um, so it was great to see, very refreshing to see coming off of that uh, Virginia game in which we still beat them by 18 points. We're all still uh, disappointed for some reason. So um, yeah, just a solid performance and looking forward to, to heading into next week. Yeah, I think it proved this game proves that when the team comes in focus, including the coaches, like they come out like it's a championship game and they treat their opponent with that type of respect, um, that we do, we are probably the best team in the country, at least as of right now. And like Ben said, we will get better and there's the ceiling is higher. And I think that's because if you look at all of the areas that were that could potentially be deficiencies, it's not because of a lack of talent, it's just because of youth. It's like, you know, cornerbacks, uh, Landon Zanders, the wide receivers. So like this, the ceiling of this team could be really high. And I think we saw a glimpse of it on Saturday night. And, you know, to, to maybe be case in point on that, Cody, Joe Ngata has not really played meaningful snaps yet this season. And he could, you know, the coaches are talking him up as possibly one of the best wide receivers to come through Clemson. Not sure if you guys watch any NFL this weekend, Clemson's had a lot of good wide receivers. So, um, get that guy back on the field, playing to his potential. You know, it's going to be a, a whole different offense. Um, so, yeah, Cody, to, to your point, the ceiling is very high. A lot, of, a lot of good things to look forward to. Uh, why don't we, guys, I mean, Saturday was an interesting slate of games. Really, if you're a Clemson fan, kind of seeing a lot of chaos around the country kind of can make you nervous. Like, is this one of those blood weeks um, where we see, you know, a lot of things go haywire and top teams get upset. Um, I think we knew that wasn't going to happen to us, but um, really watching the Clemson game, you know, Ben met up with you at the alumni bar. We had the Clemson game on kind of the bottom screen, Alabama Ole Miss on the top, just the juxtaposition of that and seeing all these other teams, you know, from the morning slate, you had the Red River, River shootout go to triple overtime. 
you had LSU, Mizzou, and then Florida A&M, no defense to be played to be found in any of those games. And, you know, to then see that type of dominant performance from Clemson's D just gave you tons of confidence in this being the number one team in the country. Um, I don't know, like what you guys want to talk about next in terms of those other games that were out there. I tend to favor, you know, wanting to understand what's going to happen with playoff contenders. And I think Florida probably showed everybody they're probably not a playoff contender this weekend. Well, Mullen has showed that he doesn't have the, the mentality of a playoff coach. Blaming it on the, um, <clears throat> well, several things, but um, one being the whining about the amount of fans that Texas A&M is allowed to have in their stands versus Florida. Right. And um, yeah, just generally the state of their defense, I think he needs to worry a lot more about the product on the football field and not what's right. surrounding it. Um, so yeah, I, I just don't think Florida is going to be, going to be legit. Um, they're of course going to get their chance. They're going to play Georgia. Um, they play LSU this weekend, LSU, um, their offense has been fine guys. Like I've watched parts of most of their games, you know, they don't have Joe Burrow and Joe Brady, you know, operating, you know, a death machine anymore, but, uh, certainly good enough to be scoring enough points to win games. And they should be probably three and zero at this point, but um, Bo Pelini, they hired him, paid him $2 million. He's the ex-Nebraska coach to coach up that defense. I don't know if it's like a scheme mismatch with the tempo they run on offense and like, you know, he can't, he can't get his guys to learn his schemes or anything, but, um, to put, to go up and lose against the Missouri team, you know, that is the definition of rebuilding. Yeah. That's just shameful. I, I can't see him having too many of those type of performances and keeping his job very long. You know what? They can they can suck that tiger DB. That was a good one, Cody. I don't know if you have to cut that, but if you no, know, that's that that's. that's if you, I mean, if that's, you were that's in the, the first good joke I've ever heard you tell. So that one's staying in. If you went to the natty, I'm sorry. You know, cover your kids' ears. Uh, you'll know exactly uh, what that means. <laughs> we heard a lot of that from LSU fans. Yeah, there is, um, there's no love lost. <clears throat> and um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I, I do not shed a tear at all for, for LSU. And um, yeah, I hope they enjoyed that one last year because they've got some work to do to get back to the yeah. top from the well, list just, of things. We knew this, like, they're not a, they're not a top program. They're not, they don't have that, you know, I guess pedigree and like coaching pedigree. Um they assemble the talent. They always have the right talent, but the, the ability to put it all together and develop and, you know, continue to grow, like they're, yeah, they're, they're really not there. So good for them for winning, you know, when they did put the pieces together. Um, but yeah, they're, they're probably outside the top five just in terms of program quality at this stage. So um, people are going to compare them to Auburn, you know, the year after Cam Newton left and Gene Chizik and, you know, really they caught lightning in a bottle for that season. And Gene Chizik was out of a job like a year and a half later. I have a feeling Orgeron's going to hang on there just probably because he's from there. <laughs> um, I, I suspect his fan, that fan base will give him a little bit more patience and rope, but. Um, well, I think bring him a national championship. Absolutely. A well-deserved I mean, national championship. We should point that out. I mean, Gene Chizik did too. Well, they, they ran him off at Auburn. Anyway, 
LSU is not winning the Natty this year. Um, but how about that Alabama game, guys? So um, Ole Miss in this one did not play defense at all. But Alabama didn't play too much defense themselves. Gave up, what was it, 49 points, I think, to Ole Miss. 48. Um, 48, yep, to Ole Miss in this game. You know, Lane Kiffin, former uh, Nick Saban assistant, knows Nick Saban's defenses, knows their scheme and their system. Um, and, you know, Saban had a comment kind of like, oh, I wonder if they had our signals. Like, Lane's team wasn't taking enough time between plays to, like, evaluate the signal, relay a call in. Like, you know, Lane himself said, we're too busy running our next play. Um, I just think it's, like, knowledge of the weaknesses of that scheme and pressing the issue. Um, but, yeah, I, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, Nick Saban teams after a loss usually come back and get a resounding win, except this week they go to Athens, right? Yeah, well, I mean, give me a break. We talk about the Nick Saban coaching tree and how many formal <clears throat> employees he has out there coaching against him. They're not all doing that. Like, wouldn't they all know by that uh, logic their signals? Yeah, um, like Jeremy Pruitt. It, and wins – and when did – and when's the last time uh, – when was Kiffin there? It was a few years ago. Like, you don't change things? Like, come yeah, on. 2016 was like, his last year. Yeah, give me a break. Yep. Like, I don't think Dabo would have ever said that. Like, he would never admitted to getting bested by, like, someone just knowing more. Even if he did know their play calls, like, that's on you. Like, that's, that's I just crazy. think Lane – I think Lane pisses Saban off so hard. Like it's just he's not himself. Like that's that's what I'm. That's my read on the situation. Well, that's fair. He he's pissed yeah. a lot of people off. <laughs> he's good at that. Yeah. Um, I loved watching it. I love to see that, and I love to see Alabama struggle. Um, actually, the game's in Tuscaloosa this weekend. Alabama's an early six point favorite in that game. That's probably more of an indictment on Georgia's offense um, than it is on Alabama. But the total in that game is only fifty seven, so they're predicting a game pretty much in the twenties. Um, in that one, uh, Alabama's offense looks incredibly potent. Like Mac Jones looks legit. He's got all the weapons on offense at his disposal and their O-line looks capable. Um, Ajay so Harris would be, is, you know, a guy who yep. is in the Heisman conversation. I mean, there's not many other people in the country, but he should be in there. Yeah. He's already got 10 touchdowns. So 10 rushing touchdowns, I think. So, um, that's going to be a really great game. Um, it's on at five or eight o'clock East coast kick five o'clock for us. Clemson's got a noon game East coast. So um, kids should be in bed by the time we get to watch this one, which is good. Yep. That means um, boardroom at nine for samosas and a and football, a little nap and then Georgia, Alabama. Can you even tune in North Carolina, Florida state? So UNC is now Ooh. fifth in the country. Uh, the ACC has three teams in the top five. You guys No, they don't. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> sure. Notre Dame's number four, though, and they play Louisville this year. Well, weekend. that's that's the caveat is usually we don't get to count Notre Dame. So, right. Because we're counting them this year. But come on. After seeing North Carolina play Virginia Tech this this weekend, you really you really think they're number five in the country? They're going to get waxed by, by any other team in the top ten. Except maybe Cincinnati. But even Cincinnati might beat them. They play Miami um, on December 5th at Miami. I feel like they're going to lose. And that's a week after Notre Dame. I think UNC is going to end up with a minimum of two losses. Yeah. I mean, listen, they beat BC by four. They had that high scoring affair with Virginia Tech. 
not they allowed 45 points i don't know what people are thinking to have them rank fifth uh, other than the fact that there's well, just, attrition elsewhere like yeah, no. well yeah and you know the big 10 hasn't played yet but i mean nobody in their right mind should have north carolina ahead of ohio state right now i don't care how many games they played yeah yeah that's fair and it's like it's all on sam howell i guess and his brand um for some reason so strange definitely strange uh the big 12 though guys like any any whisper of a hope that they had of texas you know dominating oklahoma and then running the table and looking like a pretty capable you know playoff contender with just a, a tough loss earlier in the season like all those hopes are out you know the big 12 continue to get exposed i was just interested interested to see um Oklahoma kind of look as bad as they did and then come back to ultimately win that game. Um, they're not going to get off the mat. They've already lost two games in the big 12. Um, so they're basically that conference is eliminated. I don't necessarily think that opens the door for the PAC 12 at all, just based on when they start. So I think it is going to be a case where, you know, could we possibly see two ACC or big 10 or SEC schools get in? It's probably going to happen. Um, could be such that the Alabama Georgia winner this week loses to the other team in the sec championship game and then both of those teams get in like at this point that'd probably be the outcome i would bet on yeah i still have to think that you're going to get two sec teams in ohio state again like i said last week there's an outside shot it could be on a combination of ohio state penn state but a lot of things have to go right or not wrong in that league um, in that conference for them to get a full slate of games in this year, because they don't have any wiggle room with any COVID cancellations. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I think we can still take two ACC teams off the table. Yeah, you're probably right. Let's wait for Notre Dame. I'm, I'm just kidding. I don't think Notre Dame's going to be the answer. Maybe it's Michigan though, Ben, I think this is the year of the Wolverine Wolverines. Uh, I mean, who knows? Like, I mean, you're, I, yeah, if I'm betting, I have to say it's like a 60% chance it's going to be two SEC teams right now. Yeah. I'd probably go higher than that, personally. But, yeah. Yeah, actually, you're, um, you're right. Because if it's not two SEC, it would be two. You're betting on two Big Ten, essentially. Right. Yeah. So, maybe 70%. Right. Uh, or maybe this yeah. is the year they let a group of, uh, group of five in. Yeah, you know, Cincinnati and BYU both are undefeated and looking fairly strong. You know, again, you ask, are they going to have quality wins? But, you know, undefeated looks pretty good um, compared to other other leagues that could, you know, could fall victim. Um, if Georgia loses, let's say to Alabama and Florida at some at some stage, which is entirely possible, you know, they're that's probably an eliminator for them. Um Alabama, who knows if their defense is truly flawed and they go up against like a Mississippi state uh, or an air, you know, the air raid is probably not going to work against Saban, but we will see um, anything can happen. SEC looks pretty wild this year, which is exciting to see. Um, yeah. So, I yes. mean, um, was it Cincinnati? They've got, they've already got a win over number 22 army. They've got number 17 SMU uh, coming up here in a, couple weeks and then the only th who was ranked number 17 the only thing between 
them and that being a ranked matchup is a matchup of SMU and Tulane coming up this week. And considering Tulane said to evacuate every week this year um, for a hurricane, I'm not sure where their yeah. mentality is out. So a good chance that that could be another quality, technically quality win uh, for I Cincinnati. Houston, Houston's probably a quality win too. I mean, they play BYU this week. Houston has had COVID scares and hurricane scares the whole season. They've only played one game so this, far. This could be the year you, you see them get in with the Pac-12 essentially being out of it just because of their 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 tight schedule and the, the, the Big 12 already, you know, essentially being knocked out unless Oklahoma State um, runs the table, which is highly unlikely. Um, yeah, it'll be I interesting. Know. I don't know, guys, with with the limited schedule, maybe it makes it more likely for a Pac-12 team to run the table. And then, you know, maybe you have a three-loss SEC team or a three-loss Penn State team. I think you're going to go with undefeated, 6-0 and Oregon. Yeah. I think the Pac-12 is only playing six games plus a conference championship game. Like, if Cincinnati goes undefeated, I don't care. Like, you got to let them in over Oregon, a 7-0 and Oregon team. I don't agree. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how they look on the field. But 7-0 in a conference championship, I don't know. I think they're in. Yeah, they'll get killed. Let I mean, this is a wild see, sport. I don't think either of those different. things going to happen. <laughs> I think Cincinnati will probably lose, and I think Oregon will probably lose one. Um, but, yeah. Well, you know, decent slate of games coming up this weekend. If you like train wrecks, I mean, I don't even know if Florida LSC is going to happen. Uh, Florida has ceased all team operations due to some COVID scares there. So that game may be getting postponed. Um, Louisville, Notre Dame, maybe watch that game just to see what Notre Dame's passing attack looks like as they develop and play more games. Um, I don't really know if there's a ton to learn, you know, for Clemson's upcoming slate. Um, guys, why don't we talk a little bit about the Georgia Tech matchup? So uh, this is Jeff Collins' second year. You know, when we first saw his team was our first game of his tenure at Georgia Tech, the opener last year um, at Clemson. We, we waxed the floor with them. Um, I suspect it's going to be a tighter game this year, although Clemson is a 27-point favorite. And we are coming off this Miami game. Um, what are you guys hoping to look for with this, with this matchup? And what do you really want to see Clemson showcase or develop in this game? I want to see him come out and continue to dominate and come in with that same mentality and aggressiveness that we saw in the game against Miami. Um, it shouldn't matter who the opponent is. Um, you know, the next game is the most important game of the season. Um, so that, that's what I would hope. I think on the Georgia Tech side, they're, they're certainly an improved team. Um, and, you know, they got better as the season went along last year. They're getting better this year. As they're starting to shed a lot of those triple option guys on the roster or the guys specifically recruited there. Um, for that, Sims, Jeff Sims is a four-star uh, quarterback. They've got a four-star running back um, who's, who's supposed to be pretty good. So um, I expect it to be – I mean, it's not going to be, you know, a pushover. It's not going to be a Citadel-type game or necessarily a Wake Forest-type game, but I still ex expect Clemson should should win this one and be far enough ahead at halftime to where we feel pretty comfortable heading into the second half. Right. That's, that's what I'm hoping. Just if they really want to take care of business, they can do it in two quarters and then let's get DJ ukulele in there. Cause uh, I think he needs his reps and he's been, yep. and let's get him in there with some of the first team offensive guys and see what happens. See him throw the ball. Yeah, exactly. Like I want to see at least one, two series where they take the, take the reins off 
and let him run and not just run, but throw the ball and open up the offense, play, offensive playbook for DJ and just see what we've got there and start to get him a taste of, you know, throwing the ball downfield. Um, what I want to see in this game, guys, is a healthy Joe and Gata. I think starting to get him factored into this offense would be key. A lot of that's going to be about his availability and pain management and that sort of thing with his ab injury and recovery. We definitely wish him the best, but um, I think if, and it, you know, again, like, you know, Georgia tech may have some dynamic playmakers on offense. I'd also like to see the defensive line, keep a focus on keeping contain and, you know, keep some of that discipline and fire we saw in the Miami game, you know, just cause this is a, lesser talented opponent at this stage of their redevelopment um doesn't mean you know take the foot off the gas at all so yeah. well and i'm I don't excited to see to beat us through there either well i'm excited to see him try because i love these cornerbacks and watching them man as athletic and, and freakish as they are um you know it's not often we look forward to, to focusing on them um going into games, but just what, from what we've seen in spectacular play so far, man, it's, it's fun to watch. And we're not too removed from going down to Bobby Dodd and not being kind of a, a rough environment for Clemson. Um, 2016 was the first time we won there in several trips. Um, and, you know, I, I know it's been like three in a row there, but, or it would be three in a row if we take it on Saturday. But um, anyway, Georgia Tech is a program on the rise. Um, I don't think they're, they beat, didn't they beat Florida state first week of the year? That's not really saying much at this stage, but um, you know, they're a program on the rise, you know, Jeff Collins is going to look to make some statements in this game. Um, it's going to be a big recruiting day for them, I'm sure. So um, even though it is kind of a dead period, I'm sure there's going to be recruits in the stands. So uh, yeah, it should be, should be an exciting game. I am glad to have kind of a, a 9 a.m. game for us out here. Yeah. Mix um, it up. I'm not. Um, <laughs> so the lines at 27, I, I'd still take the over. You mean you take Clemson to cover? I take Clemson to cover. I don't know what I'm talking about. I, I mean, I be, think we beat them by more than 27 points. That's what I know. The over under 64. Yeah. I, th I don't know. I, I don't know that like we, we were owing three against the spread the first three weeks. Um, just Clemson is content to kind of sit on a lead kind of my feel so i might i don't think i'm going to take clemson's line and i probably will take the under 64 as well i don't know 27 points just doesn't feel like enough i feel like clemson can cover that i feel they like they do well yeah they can they cover that in hard. the first half yeah they, I, they'd have to really play poorly and then go to the reserves pretty soon in order to not cover that but you vegas think. is a lot smarter than we are yeah for sure. I don't know. I've know a lot of money there at Blackjack, so. <laughs> Are they? All right, guys. Well, uh, good show. Good chatting. Good catching up on this, this vintage Clemson win here. This is going to be one we're going to look back on fondly, I'm sure, throughout the years. Um, but definitely for this year, it was good to get that signature win and really, you know, solidify again the first place votes in the AP poll. Um, this weekend, Bama, Georgia, we're going to see more shuffling going on in the top five and the top 10. That'll be interesting to watch. And the weekend after that, we get the Big Ten back. So um, going to be a lot to learn here. October is a great month for football. Um, so glad to have it in our lives. It was great to watch a Clemson game that mattered again, um, you know, with some friends the other day. So um, really looking forward to the rest of this season. You know, hope, hope all these players and teams and 
all of our listeners are staying safe out there because, um, you know, there's a lot of teams that are impacted by this point by COVID. So, um, you know, stay safe, everybody. We will be back with you all a week from now to recap Georgia Tech. Uh, who do we play next after Tech? Syracuse. Good boy. Yeah, we're we essentially get- Georgia Tech, Syracuse, BC before Notre Dame. Gotcha. And all of those games are on Saturday. Uh, BC comes to Clemson. Syracuse comes to Clemson. We go to Notre Dame. Um, no- Notre Dame. And Florida State. Florida State. That's in, right. In the season at Virginia Tech. We got a game at home versus Pitt sandwiched in between. Yeah. Just seems like we've got a lot of home games. I mean, we do. We uh, well, three out of our last four are on the road. So that's why. Yeah. That's why it's backloaded. And we're um, and we're missing. I think the South Carolina game was supposed to be at home this year, and the Akron game. Right. Um, well, in any event, we will be there to recap it all with you, and we appreciate the listens. You know where to find us online throughout the week and on game day as well. Uh, Clemson Podcast on Twitter. We're also the same name on Facebook. Um, hit us up. Pretty active on both platforms. So uh, really look forward to and thank folks for engagement there. If you haven't done it yet, please tell some friends about the show. We appreciate, you know, the increased listenership. And if you have not yet done so, please write us a review over on iTunes. Yes, iTunes still exists. and You can write podcast reviews there. So uh, we do appreciate that. Guys, anything else before we wrap? Hey, go Braves, Cody. How about that tonight? You know, Tully, you almost had to do this show by yourself because had they blown that one, Cody and I would be too pissed. We're gotten too drunk to, to make sense. That's fair. That would have been rough. Ben, you're the only one on this on this trio that's done that before. I don't know if I can do it. Yeah, you know, it's not every man's talent, but uh, sometimes, you know, you suck it up and you... You, uh, you get a little you, help. You reach, reach deep down for your inner dick angleberry. You had a little help. You had a little guest appearance there from our friend Dick. You know, maybe Let's we'll get re- him back on the show. We'll replay that sometimes. <laughs> That's right. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for tuning in. And as always, go Tigers.